Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data with your latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. We're just about 48 hours removed from WWE TLC, and you know what we always do. Sunday night, as soon as that show went off the air, Getting Over was back with an instant analysis podcast. So if for some reason you have not heard that show yet, go ahead, hit the pause button on this episode, go back one episode in our archives and listen to the TLC instant analysis, because that's going to get you prepared for what happened Monday night on Raw, which helps get you prepared for this podcast. But assuming you are all caught up to date, the rest of the show will be talking about everything that happened on the Raw before Christmas, as well as all the straggling storylines from SmackDown last week that are going to play into a loaded episode of SmackDown this coming Friday. Now we have a lot of business to get to. So because of that, we're going to run through this intro pretty quickly. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast. I think ever since we've been doing these awards nominations and you guys know the awards voting for the getting over awards, aka the meaties, that's coming this week. And you're going to be able to figure out how to do that by following us at getting overcast. But our followers have started popping up a little bit since we've been doing these nominations. So we got three or four more categories to get nominations for through Tuesday of this week when you're listening to this show. And then probably on Wednesday, the Silver King, to the best of my ability, will send out some type of form where you can vote for all of our awards. So, you know, I still have to actually look into the technical aspects of doing that, but I will try to figure it out because Twitter really limits how you can do voting. It only lets you do four spaces, some categories we have 10 to 12 nominees. So we'll figure it out. But getting over awards, aka the meaties, coming soon on this podcast. The way you can contribute is by following us on Twitter at getting overcast. Also, do not forget to go ahead, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five star rating and review for this damn show. It is all about the five. We got like five or seven ridiculously awesome reviews. In the last week, I appreciate all of you who took the time to do it. I even tweeted one that I loved so much because it's exactly what I've wanted this show to be perceived as. And this person felt that's exactly what it was. So I wanted you all to see that. So thank you for that review to that individual reviewer. But honestly, every single one, even again, if you just leave five stars and say, this is my favorite wrestling podcast, that's enough. You know, that really helps. So appreciate that from all of you. But let's get into talking WWE this week. And to do that, I welcome in my co-host, who you can follow on Twitter, at Chris Vanini. His name, Vintage Chris Vanini. Chris, lots of wrestling jam-packed into a very short window. But if I must say, I, I feel like we pretty much nailed almost every single direction that WWE was going to go coming out of TLC. We're going to break it down in a moment. But I mean, I guess some of it was telegraphed. Maybe some of it was obvious. I thought some of it wasn't, especially like the Fiend, Alexa Bliss type of stuff. Uh, I, I kind of like the direction they're going, even though I didn't necessarily find Raw to be anywhere near a great show. I thought it was a mediocre to good show. Yeah, you know, coming off of pay-per-view, there have typically been a lot of letdown Raws the night after. Throw in that it's the week of Christmas. 
Mm-hmm. You've got a SmackDown that's going to be on Christmas that you know that the the the, the, the numbers aren't going to be good from a from a from an audience standpoint. And yeah, you kind of got a, a show that kind of pointed the directions that things are going to go without necessarily taking many steps into them. Right. I mean, we do have, and we mentioned this on the instant analysis, we have six weeks until the Royal Rumble. So WWE clearly took Christmas week, at least for Raw, and said, you know what, we're just going to kind of dog paddle a little bit in place. You know, maybe we'll start a course for something, but we're not actually going to get there. And you know what? There's a very real possibility that next week's the same thing. They're advertising this legend show uh, two weeks away. And that's clearly a ratings, try to get a ratings bump for the first Raw of the new year. I see people criticizing that. I don't know why someone's going to get criticized for trying to increase ratings. I mean, do whatever you need to do. So I think that show, that legend show, is probably where business is going to pick up for WWE. Start building storylines in a strong way ahead of the Royal Rumble. But I do find it interesting that this upcoming SmackDown is loaded on Friday night, which is Christmas Day, right? Am I correct about that? Yes. Friday night. So Christmas Day, the eve of Christmas Day, I guess, technically, is what it is. It's loaded. And we will talk about that at the end of today's show, what that card looks like, what we expect to happen. But, you know, before we do that, we got to get into talking about this past week in WWE and the way we do that on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is by sliding into the main event. I feel like I haven't hit that sound effect in a long time. It felt good. Back <laughs> to the main event. Haven't been there in a while. All right. So the main event, basically this week, it's going to consist on the three biggest storylines from Raw. And it needs to because all the big storylines on SmackDown mostly got resolved or, you know, we already covered them in our instant analysis. So we talked about what happened with Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens and Sasha Banks and Carmella. We covered that on that last podcast. Again, if you have not heard that, hit pause, listen to our TLC Instant Analysis, come back and listen to this episode. But let's start with the major men's storyline, which not only still involves Drew McIntyre, AJ Styles, The Miz, and John Morrison, but now more firmly involves Sheamus and Keith Lee. The show started with Miz TV, uh, AJ Styles as the guest. Backstage before the segment, Styles was hot, saying The Miz stole his title opportunity by cashing in. And he was going to confront him and make Miz and John Morrison answer for themselves. Miz apologized to his family and Styles. Uh, Styles called him stupid and incompetent. Miz offered Styles a holiday gift of a co-starring role in the new Marine movie. Styles and Morrison began arguing, almost pointed out that Morrison was the one who cashed in the briefcase, not Miz. And Miz started demanding his briefcase back. We figured that might happen. Drew McIntyre interrupted, saying he got wasted with Sheamus and Keith Lee at the bar last night, and they read a Christmas poem together before attacking the three guys. Styles dropkicked Lee into Sheamus, creating a lot of tension and animosity that went on later in the show. So then we move over to the main event. We have Drew McIntyre, Sheamus, and Keith Lee against AJ Styles, The Miz, and John Morrison in a six-man holiday street fight. And we'll talk about that stipulation momentarily. Sheamus got into another argument with Lee early in the match. Morrison threw Sheamus off the top rope and threw a table at ringside, which was actually the the spot of the entire match. There was a little street fight for this being a street fight, meaning nothing really happened until the final two minutes. Styles beat McIntyre with a kendo stick wrapped like a candy cane. I think some of the other guys did too. 
McIntyre picked him up, power bombed him through a table that had eggnog on it. And that was really the extent of the street fight aspect of a holiday street fight. Now, I'm not saying you need to have a full-on brawl street fight, but you know Vince always loves doing the Thanksgiving street fights and the holiday ones and the um, Halloween ones, etc. Fourth of July, you know, but usually you utilize all those weapons at ringside and you go crazy and you make it a street fight, especially when you have six dudes and some of them are Seamus, Keith Lee and Drew McIntyre. But it just seemed like it was an ill-conceived concept for the match that really got jammed in because again, that stuff really wasn't utilized. And honestly, it didn't factor into the finish. I'm not complaining about it per se. I'm just noting that they promoted all showy street fight for the main event. And we didn't get anything that resembled the street fight in the main event. So McIntyre was set to Claymore Miz, but Sheamus tagged himself in. He was ready for the bro kick when Lee tagged himself in. Almost caught Morrison flying off the ring apron and did the funny spot again, where he just dropped him through a table. Then Lee hit the spirit bomb on Miz for the win. Lee was celebrating the win, but Sheamus was pissed. Bro kicked him. McIntyre screamed at Sheamus for doing that when they won, saying he vouched for him. So this was all really not much to write home about, Chris. Uh, They're clearly keeping all six of these guys together in an interconnected story. McIntyre being split between his friends while Styles and Miz still want his title. It's different. It's interesting that McIntyre is going to be getting pulled seemingly in four different directions between two different friends and two different challengers. And you kind of wonder how it's all going to play out. I mean, we discussed on the show the idea that Sheamus could end up being his challenger for the Royal Rumble and and they head in that direction. But even if they do that, there's a long road to get there when you consider that Styles is still claiming he wants a chance and The Miz basically wants to get his briefcase back. So I think you can solve The Miz by giving him or not giving him the briefcase and just moving on. Styles, potentially you could give a title match next week on Raw or or on that January, I think it's fourth edition of Raw. That's another title match. It's a big main event. And then you just move with the Sheamus storyline for the Royal Rumble. Or you have this entire thing play out six weeks and the fight that you end up having is Sheamus versus Keith Lee whether it's on Raw or at a Royal Rumble. So I don't know what they're going to do. I'm curious to see what you think. But this storyline, probably more than any other, kind of just felt like they were like going through the motions and figuring out a way to keep it going when it really could have just ended at the pay-per-view. Well, it it, it was definitely a house show or holiday mm-hmm. main event. I, I, too, was very confused why they didn't have stuff around the ring. I don't know. Maybe it's a pandemic and that's a reason they didn't normally. I mean, normally you got pumpkins or cake or candy canes or whatever. And, and you just, you do stuff with that. I will probably do that on SmackDown. Um, but uh, yeah, it wasn't really a street fight otherwise, but you know, it was, the match was fine. It was, you know, like I said, typical house show main event or something, but I I'm actually very intrigued by where this could go. If it becomes a Drew McIntyre's friends are, are, are having issues while AJ and Miz are in the background as well. I, I really liked the dynamic of the McIntyre AJ thing with the Miz on the outside. Now you're adding more characters. I think it's, it's just, it's different. I don't know. It's, it's, it's not something we typically see. You typically it's the, the, the champion has one person they feud with. They go back and forth. They do their deal. So I, I really like this idea. They've built, they've already built up the Keith Lee Drew McIntyre friendship. They spent the last month or so building up the Sheamus friendship. Uh, so I think this could go, like you said, a lot of different ways. And, and honestly, I, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see where it goes, even if we didn't get a ton of it. 
on Monday. Yeah, I guess maybe for me, it's just the disappointment when you, the, the two, look, every month there's a pay-per-view, right? And generally, you ideally hope for like five weeks between pay-per-views so that you get a little breathing room. But the two shows that are most exciting are the go-home show and the show after. And really, for me, the show after is more exciting than the go-home show because the show after is where you start your new storylines or you move things forward in a certain way. And this one just kind of felt like, yeah, we're not really moving things forward. You know, like they, they, they did a little bit with Seamus and Lee, but we've seen that. Maybe we haven't seen those two have animosity, but we've seen Drew and Keith and we've seen Drew and Seamus. And I just don't know how you resolve that while simultaneously having Styles and Miz still saying that they deserve title opportunities. Like I said, maybe they can just play it out on TV where there's title matches and Drew keeps beating people and right. then they move on. I don't think they're going to build up Drew versus Sheamus for a WrestleMania or Drew versus maybe Drew versus a Keith Lee. I don't necessarily think so. Maybe it's a scenario where their plan right now, and this is playing way far in advance, but maybe their plan is to go with a SmackDown winner for the Royal Rumble. And they're building Sheamus, Keith Lee, Styles, Miz, Morrison. And I think it would be one other person for the Elimination Chamber. Hmm. Maybe that's what they're doing and they're, and they're starting it already. But I mean, that's February. Like, like so you're, if you're telling me this is going two months, then we got a, we got a problem, right? Um, so I don't know. I just, I wasn't, I, I found it interesting, but I didn't necessarily find it overly entertaining. Is, well, it, is that yeah. fair? No, well, it's, I mean, it's like we just said, they, they, they've, they've started, they've, planted the seeds of something that'll come. We don't know what'll come or how they do it. No, but I, I, I like, I just, I like the dynamic of bringing them in and bringing his friends in and, you know, maybe, you know, we, we already got the tag match. Maybe we get another tag match. Maybe we, maybe we do an AJ title match midway through this six week build to Royal Rumble. And maybe we do a triple threat at Royal Rumble with Keith and, and Sheamus. I, I don't know. I, I right. but I, I think the various options we have, even the elimination chamber one, even if it is two months away, I like the options that seem to be on the table uh, for the for the coming weeks and months. I guess. Uh, of- yeah, me, me too. Me too. I think as long as they just clearly they have a plan in place, and they, you know, again, people criticize WWE for either doing things too frequently or. I mean, it's crazy where you simultaneously say, hey, these long term, they don't do enough long term storylines. And then these storylines are lasting too long. Right. And it's the reason for that dichotomy of opinion is because it's the storylines last too long where the same thing keeps happening. What people want from long term storytelling is progression in storyline to reach a final result. And that, to be fair, is what you are seeing here. Not Mm -hmm. so much with Styles and Miz, although they certainly have been playing that out for you know, five or six weeks at this point. But let's not forget how Keith Lee debuted. He debuted as Drew McIntyre's friend from Evolve, mm-hmm. guy that they knew, and you know, he knew in NXT and so on and so forth. And Sheamus has always had a friendship with McIntyre throughout his entire time in WWE. And so they told the Keith Lee storyline. Then they kind of paused it, unfortunately, and we were angry that we haven't seen Keith Lee on TV or in meaningful TV. Then they started telling the Drew McIntyre-Sheamus friendship storyline. And now they've merged both of those together. Yep. So this is long-term storytelling. This is the and this is the proper type of long-term storytelling. The question is, what is the end? 
And I am willing, you know, we criticize, we praise, you know, depending on the situation. I don't think we're at a point right now where I can definitively say either way. I am definitely interested though. And the dynamic between the three is something unique. Um, A friendship splitting, being pulled in two different directions type of storyline between men especially is not really something that, I mean, it's happened in wrestling certainly many times, but it's not something that has happened recently, at least in WWE with three different guys who Sheamus is a tweener, Drew McIntyre is a badass face, Keith Lee is a baby face. So they all have these different like levels of being good guys. And McIntyre is is literally caught in the middle and legitimately from a uh, kayfabe standpoint caught in the middle between these two almost devils on his shoulder. So it's I, I, I do find it interesting to see how that is going to generate. But the idea of like Miz getting the briefcase back and then Styles getting another match, like predictable. Yes, sometimes predictable things are good. Sometimes they're just predictable. And that was very predictable. Sure. You okay. you sound like you're talking yourself into this a little bit more than when we started this. I'm I'm I I'm into the the <laughs> face face portion of it. Yeah. No. Yeah. For sure. Right. Yeah, I'm into, yeah, I'm into yeah. half of it. I'm yeah, into yeah. half of it. Yeah. Because I want fresh, and I yep. think it's fresh. Like McIntyre and Sheamus is fresh. Uh, Sheamus and Keith Lee, given what we've seen with Riddle and Sheamus and Keith Lee and Orton, that that match is going to bang if we get that. That's big meaty men slapping meat. That, look, in the end. That's all. That's what this show's about. All right. One thing. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> and the potential is there to get that. So that that's why I am buying half. I'm not, but I'm not selling the other half. I'm just, I'm holding and I'm, I'm waiting to see. All right. Let's move on to the big women's storyline. The new women's tag team champions celebrate. And as expected, the Raw t- Women's Championship just goes by the wayside as. I kind of thought it would. Charlotte Flair and Asuka, they celebrated their win before Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler interrupted. Jax called out Flair's robotic delivery, and they talked about taking out all of Asuka's other partners, Kyrie Sane and Lana. I actually thought that was all, from a storyline standpoint, pretty funny. And the fact that Jax <laughs> feels like she can hit someone for their robotic delivery, I thought was, was pretty smart. Uh, Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke then came down, roasted all the heels. Flair called for a referee. It was a really clunky opening segment. But you could tell on commentary during the ensuing match that Flair actually has a real affection for Asuka, like actually likes her in real life, the way she was talking about her and praising her for leading the division over the last six months. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, So we got two matches here on the show, Chris. The first was Jax and Baszler defeating Rose and Brooke, the sexy muscle friends. I love that Asuka calls them that. Uh, Got a lot of offense. They splashed the heels off the ring apron. There was a lot of good action. Brooke Failed rolling up Baszler, who made her pay with an around-the-world backbreaker and eventually the Kirifuda clutch. The faces dumped the heels over the ropes after the match to make a statement. So you have Rosenbrook, the team that we thought was going to be taking the titles off Jackson Baszler, now losing to them after they've lost the titles on television. Didn't like that, but they were still kind of booked strong in the moment. So, okay, we continue. Then later in the show, we had Asuka and Flair. I think it was a non-title match up against Peyton Royce and Lacey Evans. So Peyton Royce now has purple hair. Uh, It seems like she's officially a tag team with Evans, even though she took credit for getting the match made and they don't see, she does not seem to like Evans, but (laughs) yet here Peyton Royce is in a tag team after splitting up from a tag team that was far better. I hope this is short-lived. Royce nearly had Flair tapping with a knee lock and caught her in a pinning combination, 
Flair eventually won with the figure eight. So nothing too surprising here. You have Charlotte Flair going over. You have the heels going over faces. What did I like? I like that we got two clean finishes. And really, all of Raw was clean finishes, not roll-up bullshit. So th- thumbs up. You know, you get credit where it's due. Uh, maybe that's a low bar for you know WWE, but they passed the bar, right? Uh, we are the bar. So they both matches were relatively okay. I thought the, the first match that I mentioned was better. And now you have Jackson Baszler, who never wanted to be a tag team, but were, won the titles. Now they've lost them. Still focused on the tag team titles, where the women's champions also just there kind of sitting out, waiting for challengers. It seems to me, and you know, I don't know what they're going to do, but dude, it seems like we're going to go another two months or another six weeks without the Raw Women's Championship having a challenger or being defended and contested, maybe even at the Royal Rumble. I, unless, yeah. unless they lose the titles and it's Charlotte's fault. I, I yeah. feel like that's got to happen. And we have, like I said, we have six weeks to do it. I yeah, I feel like we can't have this keep going on. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like how many times do. are they going to do different versions of this? Like, it, it, it's, uh, it's good that they, it's good that they had two women's tag matches on a show. I don't, I don't know the last time that happened. They've reestablished or established two more teams finally. On true. Raw. So true. that, that was definitely a positive in, in that sense. You know, Charlotte Oscar is a situation where nobody can realistically beat them. You know, they're kind of like a brothers of destruction type of deal. So something's going to have to happen. And, and maybe that's Charlotte turning on Oscar. I don't know. I, Charlotte is kind of a face here, and it's always just a little bit strange when she's in that role because she's so good as as a heel, and you're just waiting for something to happen. So I'm gonna be be sitting here every week waiting for that to happen, and I think we all will be. So yeah, overall, you know, matches were good. Seemed to get some time. Glad that all happened. Establishing women's tag uh, tag teams. So overall, I think definitely a big step forward. Um, and then we'll, we'll see if something happens with an Oscar challenger. Yeah, uh, it's, I mean, they're going to be moving over and, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll briefly talk about what I was going to at the end of the show. They're going to have a match on SmackDown this week. So after Jackson Baszler holding the titles for months and going nowhere, but raw, yep. um, Flair and Oscar have them for a week and they will be on SmackDown. And I'm, that's not a complaint because the entire point of these titles is that they can move between brands. And you're telling me now I might get Oscar and Flair on NXT, I might get Asuka in a women's match for a title on NXT. You're like, yes, please, please and thank you. Give me that, right? So I love that they're going to SmackDown because that's the whole purpose of the titles. I just find it funny that you go months without this thing changing brands going back and forth. And then the day Charlotte Flair gets, the day Charlotte Flair returns, she wins the title in 10 minutes. Uh, she's in the number, she's in the opening segment of Raw and now she's advertised for SmackDown. It's just they would, it's just so blatant, you know, the, the favoritism that they have for Charlotte Flair. And again, I don't dislike her. I just hate the way that they, they shove Charlotte Flair down our throats the way they did Roman Reigns. And it doesn't do her any favors. And when Roman had all this time off and came back refreshed, they could have done the exact same thing with Charlotte. They could have held her out until the rumble or until the week before the rumble or whatever had her come back, not with a different gimmick, because she's going to be a flair and you're going to keep that going, but with some different aspect of her character or personality. And instead, it's just like she never left. It's exactly the same. 
and they're pushing her exactly the same way they always did. Maybe they couldn't figure out a reason to give her the Raw title right away, so they're just like, oh, let's put the women's championship on her. It's just, it, it, it's it's disheartening when there's all these other women who have been working this entire time, and no, uh, Peyton Royce is not better than Charlotte. And no, Peyton Royce probably should not be Raw Women's Champion. But in all of this time, could she have had a title match? Yeah, she could have raised her profile. There's all these things you can do. So that was my dismay with this. I didn't think it was bad, though. I mean, I I actually thought Charlotte got over as a face better than she has in a very long time. I think her and Asuka work really well off each other. I think Asuka and anyone work really well off each other. That's how good Asuka is. And it's why she's a contender for Female Wrestler of the Year. And I think it's probably a two-woman race between her and Sasha Banks. You know, we could. I'm glad at and least Bailey and I, Bailey. Yeah, I'm glad yeah, at least in the moment it seems like Nia and Shayna are still together, um, and and they got their win and whatnot. I mean, you could easily turn one of them into an Oscar singles match. They should the be or something. Oh um, yeah, but but I want them to stay friends. I don't want them to break up as a tag team. So there are different ways to go. And yeah, like it, it, they could have done this. Put put. Nia and Shane on both brands and done a bunch of stuff with them. It's annoying. You're only doing it when Charlotte comes back. But at least in this situation, because they're tag matches, it's getting a lot more women involved. It's getting a lot more women matches on TV. And hopefully that continues moving forward. If they're going to, you know, if they're going to shove Charlotte down her throats, at least surround what she does with a lot of different people as well. I agree with that. No question. I mean, if they go over to SmackDown and fight the Riot Squad, number one, you could have the Riot Squad win, which, you know, I'm going to love that. Uh, but you could also just have a banger of a match and have them get really close and put them over strong in a defeat. So there is, yes, a rising tide floats all boats. And Charlotte Flair could be that rising tide. The question is, will she be? And will they allow them to lose without? Will they allow them to lose the women's tag team titles without Flair turning on Asuka? That's the key. If they do that and they put someone over like the Riot Squad, then ultimately it will be a success. Yes. But you would think that they would have used a heel team to put over the Riot Squad or Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke and not a face team. You know, yes. that, that, that's what you would think. All right, moving on to the third part here of our main event. Randy Orton speaks for the first time after committing murder on television. Orton said he's lived up to being sick and twisted, deranged and demented, when he burned the fiend alive, and he not only has no regrets, but enjoyed every second of it. Orton said the fiend's stench lingered in the ring, and he didn't sleep because of the voices in his head. Orton looked really demonic uh, throughout this entire segment and proudly said the fiend is no more, and he's the evil son of a bitch who took him out. So at this point, man, I'm like, damn, this is a good promo from Orton. Didn't necessarily expect them to go this dark with it, but like what they're doing. So right as Orton is about to leave, you know something's going to happen. The lights shot off. The Fiend's music, you know, that's that weird sound, screeching sound hits. Orton dips out of the ring. He's like, I got to get out of here. They came back on. The lights came back on. And Alexa Bliss was swinging on a moment of Bliss swing set on a playground that was suddenly appeared suddenly made in the middle of the ring. Orton looked freaked out as Bliss wondered where the fiend could be. She made a bunch of jokes about him being burnt alive, guessed maybe he absorbed into the mat and ground, and she said, he's home, but if he ever leaves home, 
He may come back and it will be like nothing you've ever seen before. And then the lights shut out. So I believe I had this storyline absolutely nailed on our TLC instant analysis. And not because of that, but I loved every single second about this entire segment. It made complete sense. It gives us some breathing room and teases a fiend return, possibly from crawling through the ring like Kane used to do during a key moment for Randy Orton. Bliss was really, really creepy. Her acting was top notch. It was good storytelling that what she actually cares about the entire and what she has cared about the entire time is really the fiend, not so much Bray Wyatt. It's the fiend who attracted her. It's the fiend who has kind of taken over her mind and spirit, not really Bray Wyatt. Bray is just the vehicle or was the vehicle for the fiend. So now you wonder, is she going to be the vehicle for the fiend or is this demented version of Bliss now going to start hosting talk shows from a swing set, a really creepy horror show, horror movie type of swing set that she starts having guests on? I don't know what they're going to do, but what I can tell you is this thing with Alexa Bliss has been incredible from the very beginning, and what she is doing now, being in the forefront of the Fiend gimmick, is a great vehicle for her top to bottom. This was a huge win. This was an A-plus from me. Very few of those that we give out. I loved every second of it. The only complaint I had about this was that it didn't open up the show. It should have opened the show. It should have opened the show. We just ended Sunday night with a dude getting murdered. We need to address that at the top of the show because that's what people are talking about. You figure that's what people are going to want to see when they want to turn on your TV. Opening with the women's tag was uh, surprising. Uh, Randy's promo was great. His promos are a lot better when he's talking about the things that he did rather than the things he's going to do. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. So, so this was a great, uh, he, he, he did a great job with it. And, and for that exact reason, because he, he's much better talking about something he did as opposed to hyping something leading in a match. It, it was great. What he said, I wrote in my notes, he, he said, I'm not normal. And I just, in my head, I, I was just waiting for him to say, I'm a genetic freak. <laughs> just thinking back to Scott Steiner and, and, and that whole deal. Um, Alexa Bliss, again, again, we just say it every week. Every, she, she's perfect in this role. She's probably the best actor on the roster in terms of playing their part. Um, I hope this, like we, again, we've got six weeks. I hope this drags a little bit and that it, Randy starts getting a little paranoid and wondering if and when the fiend is going to come back, but he doesn't. We give it a few weeks and then, and then something happens. So, so love it. Love what they did. Um, excited to see where it goes. Oh, I, I one other complaint. They didn't go to commercial at the end of it. They, I the hate when they out. go back. I hate yeah. when they go back to commentary. Yeah. It's they the go back to commentary and like they kind of address like, well, I guess we got to get back to our scheduled action, which was how they should address it. But they should address it after the commercial. And then they gave us like, I think I think a Charlotte little video package of the tag team match before they went to commercial. Just just end it there. Like it, like the lights go out. Then we're going to commentary. Is Randy still standing in the ring? I, I don't know. No, you, you have Orton wherever and you just have Samoa Joe like without seeing him. Like, guys, what, what what's going on here? 
and then you cut to black. Like that's it. And you can do that at the start of the show as the opening segment. You can do that in the middle of the show if you want as like the middle show main event and go to commercial, or you do it as the very last thing in the entire show. I have the biggest story coming out of the pay-per-view was that it was not Drew McIntyre. So you want to increase that hour three rating. You promote it the entire show in the final segment of raw tonight, Randy Orton will address murdering a dude. You know, obviously you say it, you say it differently. You promote it and you send everyone home happy. You go right to black at the end of the show. That's just, you are a hundred percent right. It is such a small, easy decision to make. And it's, so easy to get wrong. And it is something that changes how you perceive the entire show and the segment itself. And all they had to do was instead of putting it in segment 14, put it in segment 21. That's it. That's all they had to do. Okay. So that's our main event. Let's move on to everything else that happened over the last few days on SmackDown and Raw. Let's start with SmackDown where Bailey defeated Bianca Belair in a singles match. Now backstage before the match, Belair said Bailey is not a role model but she does see her as a measuring stick in WWE. Bailey said Belair needs to humble herself and promised to put the rookie on the map. Belair's athleticism was on full display. She did a press vertical suplex, a handstand, springboard, a moonsault. The referee caught Bailey using the ropes for leverage. There were a ton of counters, and Belair eventually deadlift Bailey into a powerbomb, which was really freaking cool. But Bailey raked her eyes and hit the rose plant for the win. So I thought this would be a win for Belair, obviously. But no harm, in my opinion, having the veteran heel of Bailey's insane stature in WWE get a win by cheating on a television match. Like that, that doesn't necessarily bother me. It was still a clean finish. She won with her fin not clean, it was a definitive finish. She won with her finisher and got over on the younger, more rookie face. So for all those reasons, it made sense. It just means we're gonna get this again, which is fine with me. This is the best Belair has looked to date on the main roster. I honestly wouldn't mind if WWE pulled something like that Sheamus and Cesaro feud from back in the day, maybe not go seven, but do like a five match series where after two, they like establish that it's a five match series, have them go back and forth and have Belair win at the end. I don't think they're going to do it, but I did find this really entertaining. I thought Belair got over in defeat. Bailey kind of regained some of what she'd lost eating all those pinfalls in the past, but it seems like all those were for no good reason if she was just going to win here. So that's basically where I stand, but I thought it was a good segment. Yeah, I I think what we're going for here is Bianca is basically kind of starting over and they'll build her up through this feud and she'll get over Bailey and that'll be a, a maybe a launching pad as opposed to what we thought they might do at a Survivor Series or something like that. So no, this made sense as kind of as we get this feud started going in the ring. It, 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 yeah, it was really weird that Bailey kept losing matches to people like Natalia for no reason. Um, so Bailey needed a win. She only had a handful since the summer. It this is again kind of a, a, a step forward. Kind of not this isn't the start of the feud, but it's kind of the start of where this is going to go. So. Yeah, it, it 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 was fine. Yeah, there's just I wish there was more meat to kind of yeah you know tear into here, but I do think we're going to see it. We're going to see the feud continue on Friday. The question is how is how is the actual feud going to progress? When do we get a match? There's no title really up for grabs here. So what do you really have them do other than just challenge each other again and again, or 
do you not? Do you kind of say, well, Belair lost that one. She has to go fight all these other people, beats them, then gets Bailey in like a final boss type of deal. Maybe they can go in that direction. Staying on SmackDown, we had the first annual, which is always funny when they say it that way, <laughs> uh, or first inaugural. I don't even remember which way they said it, but first annual, I think is what they said. Sammy Awards. Sammy Zayn gave himself awards for comeback and match of the year, but read Biggie's name for superstar of the year after Biggie changed the cards earlier in the show. They're wearing tuxedos. They fought a little bit. Biggie threw Zayn down the ramp. I actually thought it was pretty lame and not the typical funny stuff that you can expect from these two. It just was very, very, very predictable. The jokes weren't particularly good. Zayn is always, he made the most of it, I guess, but I don't know. It was way too corny for Big E, who now, yeah, is he still corny in moments? Yes, but he's also simultaneously supposed to be getting more serious. Now, on TLC, and we saved this and we did, did not talk about it on our instant analysis, Zayn berated Kayla Braxton for leaking audio of him going on a tirade backstage, which was a really, really fun play on that Tom Cruise leaked audio that's been in the news the last couple of days from the set of the new Mission Impossible. I always love when WWE like goes into pop culture like that. That was very smart and very good. Big E was laughing with our truth about it later in the show. Zayn got angry at Big E and said he's been treading water ever since he went solo, which is not untrue. And Big E got suddenly real serious. I enjoy that they went this route. They announced later that Big E versus Sami Zayn will be a title match on SmackDown the day of Christmas. So look, uh, you tell me, you know, obviously what you think about the segment, but kind of looking ahead to SmackDown, I think first opportunity, you change the title. I just think you put the damn thing on Big E, strap this dude up and move forward from there. Let Sammy work from behind getting rematches rather than winning as a chicken shit heel and forcing Big E to try to get a rematch. I'd much rather they change the title and have Sammy be the one to work for it. Yeah, I, I agree. I I, I, I want Big E to get this and start to look strong and start to beat down Sami Zayn as we get into Road to WrestleMania season. I thought, I, I like the Sami bit, the Sami Awards bit. I thought it was funny. Yeah, it wasn't the most creative thing I know, but I thought Sami and Big E really made the most, like you said, made the most of it. And and uh, Sami was just, their mannerisms, the way they, the way they the promoted the things was, was pretty good. I, I thought it was pretty funny, predictable. It's funny. I like Biggie just coming up and getting the award and just shoving Sammy aside and kind of ignoring him and giving his speech. Uh, Pre-thanking Notre Dame football for covering, which they did not end up covering. Uh, <laughs> so that that was... Uh, I did find that funny, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was fine. I, I, I don't want a ton more of these. Like, I, I agree. I want Biggie to start, you know, get serious, win the title, move forward from there. But as a one-off... You know, before the before the TLC pay-per-view when they're not going to be wrestling at TLC, I thought it was fine. It also made me, again, wish I, I don't know why they don't bring the Slimy Awards back. Uh, they are. They're tomorrow. Oh, wait. The, 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 so the whole reason for this segment, the whole reason they did this is because Sami Zayn assumed that he will not win any Slammy Awards, which are going to be uh, presented Wednesday, I think at 10 a.m. or at some point on Wednesday through either social media or the Bump, maybe the Bump TV sh uh, online show or whatever. I don't exactly know how they're airing it, but Wednesday they are doing the Slammies. They've actually been tweeting about them, kind of similar to how we're doing it with nominations, not asking fans, but telling people who is nominated for all their awards over like the last two weeks. So yeah, Slammies are on Wednesday. 
getting over, we wait for the end of the year. We do things right. We're unbiased on this show. Getting over awards, aka the Meaties, final week of 2020. So did they say anything about the Slammies on Raw? I don't think they've mentioned it on TV. Yeah. So again, this is just like the Firefly Inferno stipulation yeah. that I missed. I missed this about the Slammies. But I mean, they I have, to, to be fair, they have been talking about it for like two weeks. So sure, I just should it, it be mentioned. If Should it be mentioned TV, on TV? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Should it be mentioned on TV? Yes. Have they been talking about it for a really long time? Yes. So, you know, you decide what you think. I think it's probably going to be on WWE Network through the bump. Uh, I'm going to Google it while you're talking. But yeah, I, anyway. I, well, that's good. I, I just, I, I, you know, th- there are things that they don't often do anymore. King of the Ring, Slammies that are natural, like, fun things that you can create storylines out of. Like we all think about the Owen Hart deal uh, in, in, in doing that type of thing. So, okay. So, so if they really are having the Slammy Awards, I guess that makes me like the Sammy Award bit even more because then it did make sense why Sammy wanted to do it. So I thought this was fine, funny, and it, I guess set up something that I, I didn't know it was setting up. So the Slammy Awards, yeah, they're Wednesday, December 23rd, 10 a.m. Eastern on WWE Network and social platform. So really burying it. I mean, I, I'm glad, very happy. They're not making an entire Raw out of it. I've always thought that was a bad idea, just people getting awards and kayfabe-wise, it doesn't make sense. Plus you have two brands. So how are you going to do it just on one show? So I'm very happy they're doing it separately. But I mean, they definitely could have done like Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on the WWE Network. I don't well, know why you got the Bachelorette finale tonight, so that's probably not why. So as I uh, said, I you could do Tuesday night at 8 p.m. on the WWE Network, <laughs> and I don't think it would really matter. But, you know, it's just, or a Friday, maybe not Friday night, or a Thursday night or something like that. There, I think there was, I guess that, that wouldn't make sense because of Christmas. My point is 10 a.m. on a Wednesday. I know it's on demand, but you're, everyone, it's going to get leaked. I mean, everyone's going to see all the, the winners on social media. You're really not giving anyone a reason to watch the show. That's all I'm really getting at. Anyway, so yes, there are uh, Slammy Awards. I am excited for Biggie and Zayn. I do hope they change the title on Friday. There was a title match this week on SmackDown. The Street Profits defending their tag team titles against Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. Ziggler and Roode finally had matching ring gear and a Dirty Dogs logo. I am not sure why that's not their ring name or they haven't leaned into it with a Titantron, but they at least look like a team finally. And that's always a positive in my book. Angelo Dawkins always reminds me that he is a great hot tag. And I love that double underhook twisting neck breaker he does. It's such a great move. Ziggler had an insisted leapfrog famouser for two. Then Dawkins came back with the anointment, but Montez Ford was unable to capitalize on the frog splash. Ford grabbed some tights and beat Rude with, you guessed it, a roll-up. So not roll-up free for the week, but we got one here. Clearly, they're going to do a rematch here with Ziggler and Rude complaining after the match that Ford grabbed their tights. It was interesting that referee Charles Robinson screamed back at them, threatened suspension. I don't know why they're doing that, if it's part of a storyline, but that's, you know, at least something unique and different that it makes me curious to see what's going to happen next week. But this is just another instance where we can't get a definitive finish. Again, have a roll up and all know we're going to have a rematch sooner than later. We we picked... um... We thought this might happen on TLC. It didn't. We picked uh, Ziggler and Rude, right? Ziggler and Rude to win the title. Both of us. Did. Yeah, we got and, the other ones right. Not this one. But, yeah. So yeah. once again, yeah, once again, 
there are few tag teams and the Street Profits keep beating the only tag team that there is. This is what happened with Garza and Andrade on Raw before. So mm-hmm. I don't get it. I agree that they should, if they're going to be the dirty dogs, be the dirty dogs. Use your logo, Titantron. Stop calling them two people's single names. It's I, I, I hate, hate it. it. I always hate it. It worked with Edge and Christian, but that's such a rare situation. It, it took like a year, I think, for Cesaro and Sheamus to become the bar. And even when they were, they weren't called it for a while. Yeah. So I'm guessing that's what's happening here. But then they were the bar for like 18 months or maybe maybe two years, but like 18 so, months it felt like. Yeah. And then they just and then, then they had to dissolve. So it's like just I don't get why it's so tough for WWE to make tag team names. Like even with Sasha Banks and Bailey, they called Michael Cole called them the golden role models. Bailey's like, that is not our name because it's a shitty tag team name, right? <laughs> so so but they never made a name. This entire there were so the legit huggers. There there were so many different not not as heels obviously when they were faces. Boss there were hug. so many. The Boston Hug connection was such a terrible name going for rock and sock. But you have all these teams that that Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura. I know that with Sami Zayn they were the artist collective. But why can't they have a tag team name? Like I just don't understand why it's so difficult to just come up with something. Put it on a shirt and change the Titantron. You can, even if you get lazy and keep one person's music, which is something else I don't like, at least give them a logo and a name and sell some shit. Like, yeah, I, I don't get it. I just, yeah, no, it's, no. And, it's a pet peeve. It's a big oh, pet peeve. Oh, 100%. You know, when, when, when Cody and Goldust teamed up in, in WWE back in the day and they merged the music together, it was really well done. Yeah. And, and like, I wish they could do that. Like, you know, instead of just play, you know, we've talked about before, it's dumb. It doesn't help the tag teams. You don't take them seriously when that happens, especially in a rude Ziggler situation. I, is Charles Robinson now going to be part of the storyline? I guess it was, it was weird, but you know, we know he's been part of storylines before. I'm just, I'm done. I'm done with Rude and Ziggler now. Can't take them seriously. There is another tag team on SmackDown though, that is rising I think in the ranks that I'm a big fan of, we'll get to in a minute, I'm sure. But yeah, this was, again, I don't know what the Street Profits do from here. This feels like another one of those Ziggler storylines where he wrestles somebody a million times, loses a million times, and it's it's like a Corbett thing. So, all right, I guess I'd like to move on now if we're not going to do this. Yeah, it's it's just frustrating. And then you wonder, like, if it's not a rematch, where are they going to go? And it's nowhere. It's going to be a rematch, basically, is what's going to happen. Uh, may- maybe something with Corbin's dudes. Uh, but I just don't see how that is attractive or interesting. Uh, Hurt Business over on Raw was in the VIP lounge. They ripped a dude's New Day shirt off backstage, gave him a faction one instead. I thought that was nice because they took off a really ugly tie-dye shirt and gave him a pretty cool looking Hurt Business shirt. So I thought that was a win for the dude. But Big he- fan of faction shirts all the time, handing out the shirts. Like that's just, that's wrestling 101. Like sell merch like if you're a group yeah you want everybody to wear your shirt give like it's just it's easy it makes me want to buy a her business shirt yeah i mean it's a cool ass shirt honestly um, yeah and because it's not wrestling heavy just words and in gold shiny it's great uh all the guys talk some shit in the ring cedric alexander showing off his ego the 24 7 guys ran down for some reason and then jeff hardy and riddle interrupted saying they prefer to have their pride rather than be greedy like her business it was a really corny promo I know it was meant to be, but geez, I mean, way you to said, present. You like, said it a lot better than they did. That promo sucked. Yeah, that it was really bad. Like Riddle was 
Like, it's one thing to let Riddle be Riddle. It's another thing to let him be himself and script him. Yes. And that was just horrendous writing. Tell him, this is what we want you to say. And then just let him kind of say it and let him be a stoner ass dude like he is and flub his way through it. Yep. Not, not flub his way through it, but, but you know, pause and, and be Riddle. Yeah. Rather than like feel like he's reading a script. It, it felt like he was like closed his eyes and was reading a script in his mind of the stupid shit they wanted him to say. Well, you kind of had to based on the stuff they made him say. You got oh. you got to keep that all going in your head. Uh, not a typical wrestling promo. That that was w- that might have been the worst scripted promo of the year, right up there with with one of the the Sasha Carmella ones a couple weeks back. I think it was the worst scripted promo in WWE since either one of the Braun Strowman ones in like late 2019, early 2020, or the Suffer and Succotash Roman Reigns promo. It, that's how bad that promo was. Yeah. And Holy shit. I mean, it's so easy to A, write a good promo or B, not write a bad. Pro- it's it, it's really easy to not write a bad promo. And huh, that <laughs> that was tough to, to, to for it to be that bad was tough. Um, New Day, though, later in the show, even though they're not really totally involved in this, they cut a really good promo from a golf cart about bouncing back after the title loss, not making excuses. But New Day always finds a way to win. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, now we got the match. MVP and Lashley against Hardy and Riddle. Hardy and Riddle were great together. Uh, Riddle hit an assisted floating bro. Lashley pushed Hardy off the top rope. He nailed his spine into the steel steps and started selling his left arm. It was a really good sell because I actually thought he had a stinger. Like I thought he actually had some loss of feeling in his arm. And you know what? I still am not sure that he didn't. But clearly once he got back in the ring, they started working on it. Uh, Hardy hit Whisper of the Wind on MVP. Riddle got the hot tag, hit an exploder, a broton, a fisherman suplex. Lashley came back with a flatliner. Riddle escaped the vertical suplex, jumped off Hardy's back for a tope con hero. Uh, Hardy and Lashley countered each other's finishers until Lashley got the hurt lock for the win. I thought this match way over-delivered what the promo earlier in the show, what the segment earlier in the show kind of set up for us. Hardy, look, I like Riddle individually. Hardy and Riddle do work well together. I don't love the Hardy bros thing because I actually kind of find it insulting to Matt Hardy that even though it's Hardy boys and Hardy bros, I get it's different, but they're really almost trying to say they're the Hardy boys and it feels unnecessary. It feels like when Legion of Doom uh, came back in, in like the 2000s in WWE and they added draws to it. And you're just like, okay, it kind of works, but I don't really want it to work, nor do I want it to happen at all. So I would much rather Riddle be a singles here. As I said, the match had great action. I don't get why the tag team move is is the direction they're going, especially when Riddle has such great potential as a singles challenger for Lashley. Maybe they now go that direction, considering that Lashley has taken out um, Hardy twice with the Hurt Lock, but it seems there's no one to contend with Lashley yet again because Keith Lee and Sheamus, two guys who could potentially, are wrapped up in the main event storyline. So this whole thing was a mix of good and bad. Uh, I liked the action. I like what they're doing with Riddle and Hardy, but I also kind of really want the United States Championship to be defended and not being treated like it doesn't exist. You tell me what you think because I'm all over the place here. Well, first off, 
I'm not a big fan of the specific Hardy Bros name, but just we like we just talked about. At least they're trying to give him a name. Uh, I will approve of that, even if I don't love the actual name itself. Um, yeah, I I don't know where this is going. Is Lashley ever going to have a challenger or not? We we thought he was. We thought it'd be Riddle. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a tag team bit now because they don't have many tag teams either. Just. Get these guys doing something. If, if they're going to contend for the tag belts, that's fine. I hope we don't have another situation where they s- split wins back and forth until the, the, the tag team champs win at a pay-per-view or something. Give Lashley something to do with somebody. There's certainly somebody on the roster he can beat up a couple weeks in a row. Someone gets a title match and just do it. So, I don't know. It was, match was fun. I like, I do like them kind of as a tag team, Hardy and, and Riddle. Uh, so overall it was fine. I, it's another tag team. We need other tag teams. I just, it's Lashley's been sitting there in the background and we keep going back and forth on what Riddle is or isn't going to do. Uh, so yeah, I like, I like Riddle Hurt business too. MVP telling Riddle to just shut up because he doesn't know what he's talking about was pretty good because he very clearly did not know what he was talking about in that promo. So I, I like the Riddle, MVP back and forth. So I like real feuding with her business. It just seems to kind of keep changing exactly how that's happening. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. A couple more things before we get out of here. Otis defeated. Here we go. <laughs> this is my team. Otis defeated Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, Otis. Yeah, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> just say that again and yeah. say it slowly. Uh, Otis, formerly Otis Dozovic, defeated. IWGP champion, I believe former G1 Climax winner, uh, former WWE main eventer, former WWE intercontinental champion, and former WWE tag team champion. And I'm sure there's some more New Japan awards that I'm I'm missing in there. Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, Otis got some big offense on Nakamura with a clothesline and a splash, but Chad Gable stopped him in the middle of doing the Caterpillar, told him to do suplexes instead. Nakamura nearly rolled Otis up, but Otis threw him with a suplex and then hit the Vader bomb for the one, two, three. Otis beat Shinsuke Nakamura. And I didn't time the match, but it was like in four minutes. So I like the angle with Gable. I do. But there's really no one else they could have used on the roster for this shit. My God. Gable later told Otis... He should not do what he says, but what he means. And he should have actually hit the Caterpillar as he was planning to. Despite winning the match, he didn't do it properly. I love Chad Gable and Otis. I think it's great. Um, It's great to have a new tag team. I like that Gable is this evil dude who's manipulating Otis, but they're friends. And Otis is a good guy, Chris Farley type of dude who does comedy, but he's also a pretty decent wrestler and he's legitimate. I like all of that. It's great. You don't need to sacrifice Shinsuke Nakamura to get that over. It's as simple as that. I'm not going to get overly upset about it. It's one match. If it happens again, I'll get more upset. Do better. Just just book better. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna. I'm, there's two separate things here. The one, if you want to say it shouldn't be Nakamura, even if it was Cesaro or something, I, I don't know. That's fine. But I really, really like what Gable and Otis are doing. They had a YouTube exclusive thing backstage uh, interview afterward that was really uh really good 
I think this is, I really, really like this team. And we talk about Ziggler and Rude not just bumbling around, not doing anything. I really want to see Gable and Otis get up to tag team title match opportunity. And I, I think that's the direction they're going. They're currently in this feud with Cesaro and Nakamura. And, you know, we've got we've gotten a lot of Gable, Cesaro back and forth, which is great stuff. They had that in the pre-show match as well. You know, Gable doing the the the, the roll through deadlift mm-hmm. suplex. Those two are money in the ring. Uh, so I get why that ends up leaving Nakamura and Otis together. You know, would I love to see Cesaro and Nakamura in a better spot? They have been in a better spot before, or just whatever. Sure, they're great. Um, but I really, really like what they're starting to build here with Otis and Gable. And, and the, it, it sucks that it was Nakamura. I get it. But I, I think overall, this is more of a net positive for me when you look at, at what it means for Gable and Otis. There's no negative in a 40-year-old dude in Nakamura. And and Cesaro, I don't know how old he is. Mid, mid-30s, probably. There's no harm in them putting over younger talent. The harm for me is in Otis beating a guy like Nakamura in four minutes. If you want that to be a win, give them a 12-minute match where Nakamura gets in a ton of offense. Otis happens to catch Nakamura. Maybe Gable pulls Nakamura's leg as he's preparing for the Kinshasa behind the referee's back, cheating, the, 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 the heel guy on the team cheating, the face taking advantage of it, hitting the Caterpillar, hitting a couple suplexes, and hitting the Vader bomb for the win, shocking Nakamura, pissing him off. And now you have a tag team storyline between the four. You don't just have Otis cleanly beat Nakamura in four minutes. That is my issue. My issue is the lack of creativity, care, and protection for Nakamura and probably soon Cesaro. Hey, if you if you want to say that that Otis Gable Nakamura bit should have had more time, I am 100% in on that. Have him win legitimately in a hard-fought match where the veteran heel who we has been established, more established, looks good yep. and looks like Otis accomplished something. Instead, it looks like Otis beat a guy in a, in a red suit in four minutes. Like, because you didn't of, see because Shinsuke, of the great coaching of Gable, he did this. Right, you didn't, you didn't get to see Shinsuke Nakamura. You didn't see Otis get to overcome Shinsuke Nakamura. You just saw Shinsuke Nakamura do a job. That's my problem. Yeah, no, totally agree. I, I, I loved, I'd love to see more time put into this story for that exact reason, 100%. All right, T-Bar back on Raw, defeated Ricochet in a singles match. T-Bar beat the hell out of Ricochet, hit an awesome lariat. Ricochet again did a better job fighting everyone else except his opponent. Mustafa Ali yelled at Ricochet to stop thinking with his heart and use his head. T-Bar grabbed him, hit feast your eyes for the clean win. T-Bar told Ricochet, screaming on the mic, that Retribution is not his enemy, but his ally, and he needs to join before they end his existence. Then over on Raw Talk, I don't know if you saw it, did you? No. Okay. Over on Raw Talk, Ricochet cut a very impassioned promo. I do suggest you go out and, and see it. Basically, very woe is me, very when is this going to end, uh, when, you know, breaking kayfabe a little bit, like, why does this keep happening to me? Why can't I get anything going? I had a match with Lesnar. I barely got to touch him. It was it was very breaking the fourth wall. It was a great promo. It really should have happened on Raw, but of course, has to be on shoulder programming instead. 
the thing is, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't hate the match and I don't hate the storyline because it's Ricochet on TV every week. It's all these guys on TV every week. And there's clearly a direction and a storyline where they're going here. But I don't know what the end is. Like, okay, so let's say Ricochet finally beats Ali. They're just going to leave him alone. Okay, let's say Ricochet joins Retribution. What then? What exactly changes in his life or any of their lives? They still, they went from terrorizing the entire show to now only terrorizing Ricochet. And you still have a woman there who's had like two matches in Mia Yim, Reckoning, and isn't terrorizing the women's division at all, isn't doing anything. So I get Ali's looking out for Rick, but I don't get what the end is. And I don't think that they have a direction where it's going to go and bear any fruit. So that's my problem with it. But I, I also wish the match was twice as long. Instead of five minutes, I wish it was 10. But you have a three-hour show. Just give me Ricochet and Dijak for 10 minutes. I'm going to be happy no matter what the booking is. Uh, so for that reason, I thought it, you know, it's mediocre. It could be good, but it's not. Yeah, I don't no real thoughts other than this. It, it now sounds a little bit like a, a dark order type of situation where they may want him to join. And 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 the same thing happened with the, I mean, it's the same thing they went through with the Hurt Business where they kept, where they wanted Cedric Alexander to join. And then he eventually did. Maybe, maybe, maybe Ricochet does the same thing here. And then Ali and Ricochet are controlling the group or something. I wouldn't mind seeing them as a tag team or something like that. So you're right. I don't know if I don't get the sense they know where it's going. Um, and this amazing Ricochet promo that I haven't seen is something they should probably put on Raw because they typically have often their best things are not on their TV shows. And that yep. just never makes any sense to me. I know sometimes they go back and they'll show the Paul Heyman, Kevin Owens bit on on. on talking smack on TV or, or paper. That was, all of those have been incredible. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to oversell Ricochet. It's good. It's entertaining and it helps the story. The Kevin Owens and Paul Heyman shit is next level. Sure. sure. So really yeah, just, yeah, just put these things in front of the largest audiences you have if you want to get these people on stories over. So yeah. Agreed. Three more things. I'm going to talk about them. And then you tell me yes or no, whether you have anything to interject. Angel Garza defeated Drew Gulak. Garza chopped his hair, but otherwise was presented to be basically exactly the same. He won with the wing clipper. Gulak went from an intercontinental title contender on SmackDown to a 24-7 chaser and jobber on Raw. Goes to show you the difference in booking between the two shows. That alone, he's a microcosm of the difference between the two shows. Garza, it didn't feel like anything special happened in his re-debut, despite me liking him. He lost, he lost uh, Demi Burnett from The Bachelor, no longer with him. And he took his pants off before the match as opposed to during the match. Yeah, I have no other thoughts on this other than what you said about Gulak. And, and basically, you can tell what Daniel Bryan thinks of Drew Gulak versus what Vince McMahon thinks of him. And too bad. For sure. Uh, we had the Riot Squad defeat Billy Kay and Tamina. Hey, Tamina's back. Uh, Tamina got a lot of work early, but once she tagged out and was knocked off the ring apron, it was over. The Riot Squad hit a missile dropkick flatliner combination finisher to easily beat K. I really liked the finisher, but that's all I really took out of the match. I thought the the Billy K buildup of finding a partner and, and doing that whole thing was pretty funny. Billy K continues to be great. I hope this eventually ends up with her getting back with Peyton Royce because Peyton Royce and Lacey Evans is not going to be a thing. Uh, just put the Iconics back together. Just 
just do it. Put them back together. Just it. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the idea, the idea we thought was Peyton Royce singles and Billy Kay was literally thrown to the wolves in raw underground. And instead, Billy Kay's making something out of nothing and, and doing a good job. So I'm glad that she's getting TV time because she is great. Put Peyton Royce over on SmackDown. Have Lacey Evans find a new partner. There are plenty of women that you can find to legitimately partner with Lacey Evans if you want her to be in a tag team. You reform the Iconics and you have, I love what they're doing with Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. I, you know, Mandy, would I have liked her as a singles competitor? Sure. I don't think they need her in that role right now. So you have Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke operate however long you want them to operate. When Sonya Deville is ready to come back, you put her right on Raw. You have Mandy Rose turn heel. You have them as a heel tag team again. Or you don't. You, you keep Mandy Rose in this tag team and you have Sonya Deville come back as a heel singles competitor on either brand. Um, but they, there are so many things that they can do with these women and they need tag teams and they're actually doing a pretty decent job establishing some, not new tag teams, but stronger tag teams. The Riot Squad the sexy muscle friends, like they're, they're starting down the path. You need one or two more and you really need the Iconics and you have a decently strong women's tag team division. One thing I will take away from Raw and SmackDown this week before we get to our last item is we were complaining or I was complaining over the last few weeks, really the last month, that the women's booking generally has taken a nosedive. I think over the last two weeks, it stepped up significantly. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good. And lastly, Jackson Riker defeats Gran Metalik, another microcosm of Raw versus SmackDown booking. Gran Metalik challenging for the Intercontinental Championship on SmackDown a few months ago. Now, just like Drew Gulak, a 24-7 chaser and a jobber. Elias played electric guitar seated on the top rope while they fought. This was a cool spot. Metalik took him down with a hurricanrana. The, the, the guitar flew away. Elias got knocked outside the ring. Riker hit the sit-down choke powerbomb for the win and then stood silent in the ring. So I didn't love it. I didn't think it was anything special. But what I will say, it gives Lucha House Party an opportunity to wrestle as a tag team. And it, I, I kind of like, even though I'm not a Riker fan personally, Elias and Riker together as a tag team, again, it's establishing a new team which they sorely need. And it probably will hide a lot of their individual flaws working together in a tag team setting, which is less in-ring time for Elias. I actually think that's a pretty good development. You get a new heel tag team and it probably will work. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they took the titles because they're two big, strong guys and Elias people like. So that's kind of what I took out of this entire thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I don't know about tag team champs now or anytime soon. Oh, but, not soon, but yeah, I'm just saying. But no, yeah, uh, again, you know, AEW, like everybody's in a faction of some kind, basically, and it can be overwhelming at times, but it gives everybody something to do. And I think a lot of wrestlers come off better when they have somebody to play off of in anything mm-hmm. they're doing. So if you're going to pair up all these people... Jackson Riker with Elias being another one of them. I think overall it's a positive development. It gives more people stuff to do. It gives it it, it adds interest to the the other the original person we were talking about. So, uh, yeah, I, we saw a number of we, we're seeing more and more people getting paired up, and I think that's overall good, both just for the tag team division in in general, but also uh, the individual wrestlers themselves. So, I, yeah, I think it's positive. Completely agree with you. 
so I did mention SmackDown is going to be big this week. We already talked about Sami Zayn versus Big E for the Intercontinental Championship. The women's tag team champions are going to be on the show for a match. I don't know if it's a title match or not, and we don't know who they're going to wrestle. You would think the Riot Squad, but also you kind of don't want them to beat the Riot Squad. So we'll find out. But we also have Roman Reigns versus Kevin Owens in a steel cage match for the Universal Championship. Man, they loaded this SmackDown. I am very excited to see what those two do in a steel cage. The the presumption, obviously, is that the steel cage keeps Jay out. I'm sure he'll still get in. I don't know. Uh, Coming out of that TLC match, does it seem a little unnecessary for them to do a steel cage the the next week? It does. Uh, But Owens does have a legitimate gripe that he kind of got screwed because Jay, he's basically fought two on one the entire match. So I'm pretty interested to see what they're going to do. I do think Reigns retains the title. I am going to go ahead and predict that Big E wins the title in the IC title match. What do you think about both of those? Uh, Yeah, I'm surprised to have such a loaded show on a night when you're probably expecting one of your lowest audiences of the year. Um, I'm not going to complain that they're giving us good wrestling. And and now that... uh, I, I might be. I don't often catch SmackDown live during football season, um, but now that we're kind of mostly through that, um, maybe I will this time. I'm I'm going to be home. I mean, I'm going to be home for Christmas. I'm not going anywhere with pandemic traveling and all that stuff. So uh, yeah, it, it gives me a reason. But like, oh, maybe I should watch SmackDown this week. I, I I'm not going to speak to whether it's smart business or not. I they know what they're doing usually, but. Uh, that's a lot. I, I I think we need Big E to go over Sami Zayn. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. We don't expect Kevin Owens to take the... Is that, is, is that a non-title match, I assume? No, I think it's a title match. I'm almost positive. Um. Okay. I guess we'll need kind of an explanation for that at the beginning of the show or something. I'm uh, sure they will tell the story and have that in the main events. I can't imagine yeah. any other... I mean, just, have, other Adam, just have Adam Pierce say it, you know, he's that's exactly what he's there for. Just say, you know, oh, because this Kevin Owens has a good claim, we're going to do this. Sure, cool. Go right, ahead. like even have like Heyman, like, why did you book this match? And then he explains it to Heyman and yeah. you're good to go. Yep, yep. totally agree. This so is actually... It should be good. So yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. And Kevin Owens is probably going to do something crazy jumping off the top of the cage or something because of... Uh, what he does, and then we'll see who the women's tag team match is as well. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Now, we've actually had a bit of a short show for a change, which is great. I do have two DMs to get through before we get out of here, though. First one comes from Camp Calhoun at Camp Calhoun. What is the quote unquote current Roman Reigns version of Seth Rollins? Like, if you could dream up an angle for Seth where he can reach his absolute ceiling as a performer like Roman is now. What is that angle? So I would really have to think it through. But what I'm going to say is the Seth Rollins run as WWE champion with J&J security and being a chicken shit heel and being really, really strong, having the authority behind him. It's that's really it. Like that is what Seth Rollins is best at. The manic laughing and outsmarting his competition and using his athleticism to such a degree So it would be a modern, um, more adult, meaning uh, him having matured version of that character. I'm not saying you need to get the streak back, but Rollins realizing that even as the Messiah trying to lead people into the, the light, the greater good, that didn't work. So rather than embrace the greater good, he needs to embrace basically evil 
the heel persona that he had previously. So I would really revert back to that, but modernize it for what would probably be a more mature, uh, experienced champion who doesn't need J&J security to fight his battles, but rather needs someone like almost like a big heavy or two heavies, a couple security guards um, or championship title protectors, or, you know, maybe people who like hold the title kind of like um, the guy, the secret security officer does the football, the nuclear football, right? Something like that. I would go in that type of direction with Seth because I do believe that is his proper best possible character. But they, the problem is it was kind of the first one he ever had after the shield. So it's kind of like Randy Orton, like the legend killer was Randy Orton's best character. Then he went away from it, even though there were different versions of the Viper for such a long time. But now that he's revisited legend killer, he's maybe having the best year of his entire career. So that's my opinion on Rollins. What about you? Yeah, no, I mean, you you said the exact thing I was going to say, which was that 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 authority type of of figure. He, he was great as like the he was the future of WWE, like when you had Triple H behind him and, and mm-hmm. you knew, you know, he had a lot of people protecting him. He's not as strong when he's on his own without it. He's he it has to be a heel. He's 100 percent a heel. Yeah, I would keep him on an opposite show of of, of Roman because Roman mm-hmm. has his own thing uh, going on. I, I didn't really care for the Messiah thing the whole time. I know he put a lot of effort into it. I appreciate the change of music, the, the 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 everything they put behind it. I appreciate it. But yeah, he's he is a chicken shit heel. Roman is not. And and that's how you differentiate them. I think it's great if Ro- uh, Rollins has some lackeys and, and people to to work off of. I think back to when he was with, uh, I think it was with the Authority back when the New Day were heels, if you remember. And and you you remember they were kind of partnered a little bit, like they would mm-hmm. dance to his entrance and stuff like that. And it's kind of it's it's actually crazy to think back to when the New Day were heels. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, something like that. If you paired him up with like a heel tag team. I, I think uh, uh, something like that is is probably what is best suited for him. I, I love him as Triple H's underling, but if Triple H isn't going to be on the show every week or anything like that, then then something like that. The problem with the Messiah gimmick was very simply that they didn't take it far enough for two reasons. One, happenstance, and then two, booking. So... He had AOP. That was a great start. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I was saying. When he, when he, he, needs, when he, AOP, he, he needs AOP is really what he needs, honestly. Yeah. It's what he had, but not as the Messiah, as the old character, but with, with what he had in that type of gimmick. He needs, to be a, he needs to be a leader of a faction is really what it is in, in the old gimmick that he had, but without being as much of a chicken shit, a more confident uh, veteran presence who is now leading all these guys while simultaneously being protected by them strength and number style. Yeah, that, I, I that's, did, that's the gimmick. That's the I, gimmick. I did like the Messiah when he did briefly have a faction. Well, that, that's the thing. So it was, he had AOP and that was a great start. And yeah. then he adds Murphy and you're like, okay, it's a, not only is it a faction, they're really doing something here. Then AP gets, AOP gets injured. So you're like, oh my God, he lost the heavies. That's the thing that made it really, really work. Yeah. Then they add Austin Theory, it gets convoluted and blah, blah, blah. You know how it ended. So if they had AOP and then he added Murphy and then he added Theory or not Theory, but someone else. And now you have five or six people with them as the heavies and the tag team champions. I mean, it, even when they did that, it was weird that 
like Rollins and Murphy were the tag team champions instead of AOP being the tag team champions, right? So there was all those different weird things that were happening, but it was working. And that is what Rollins needs to do, like I said, just not as the Messiah character. But the reason the Messiah character failed, I think largely was due to happenstance. And then they didn't really know how to save it after that. And, and that's what happened. So number two DM from Chad Plasinka at I Don't Exaggerate. He said, having the wrestlers mic'd up and more clearly audible has been great. The in-match commentary adds layers to the storytelling and character development with Roman and Kevin Owens being a prime example. Do you think this is something WWE will try to keep post-pandemic? So ideally, yes. I think the natural volume created by a live crowd makes that very difficult. There are certain situations where there may be a tense moment, a submission during a match where you can zoom in real close and probably, you know, shove the boom over there and get get the sound. But I think when you see like Roman and Owens fighting each other in the ring and Roman talking shit, the camera's pulled far away, you're not going to be able to replicate that in front of fans. You're just not going to be able to hear them. And even as they do it now, sometimes it's very difficult to hear Roman. Roman almost needs to scream and they need to tell him that because sometimes he's saying a lot of stuff and I think I only catch 50% of it. So uh, should they? Yes. Will they? I don't think so, but I don't think it's their fault or a bad decision that they'll make. I just think it's difficult to do. It's clearly been an adjustment to not having a crowd there to help tell the story. So you've needed these wrestlers to more tell their own stories because the crowd is not doing it. That is the that is a large purpose of the crowd. So no, I don't think it's going to continue for the reason you said, but I think there are different ways you can do it. You know, we've had we've had matches where you can hear what people are saying. I mean, Suplex City bitch was was one of those things and and we they they try sometimes. So they'll bring in a camera real close and you can hear mm-hmm. them saying something. So maybe the, they'll call him and Samoa Joe thing in the corner of the ring. Yeah, yeah. When he threatened him. That was great. Yeah. yeah. So there there are there are I think you can do more of stuff like that um in a way that you'll have to make it uh, very clear to the crowds. Um uh but overall, do I expect it to be the same as this? No. And also, I agree with you on the Roman stuff. It, it is sometimes hard to hear him. That's kind of on him, but more on the 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 pumped in crowd noise that just doesn't need to be as loud. Well, and WWE not miking it up at the proper times, maybe not knowing in that moment Roman is going to say things. So therefore, whatever volume knob needs to get turned up, or if they do have a boom that they kind of inch closer, I don't know really how they do it. Um, not being in position to capitalize on those opportunities. So yeah, they do make mistakes like that. And it is unfortunate that that's the case. But, you know, I do think the WWE's done it in the past, as I mentioned with Heyman and Samoa Joe. Uh, it's going to be a spot thing where it makes sense. But look, uh, pandemic wise, I don't think this is anything, unfortunately, that we're going to have to worry about for a while, right? Uh, I don't think, I mean, maybe WWE has a crowd at WrestleMania. I do anticipate them holding it at the Tampa Bay Stadium, Raymond James Stadium, socially distanced because they do football games. So the procedure is already there. But outside of that, I don't think you're going to see crowds back in WWE for a while. And maybe I'm wrong because the NBA is going to start. Apparently, they're going to allow fans in arenas somehow. I don't know what the whole process is going to be. But I think WWE, if they can't sell out 
a significant portion of tickets. And I know they don't fill arenas as is, but if they can't sell a significant portion of tickets and have those people all on the same side where it looks good for television, then I don't know what their motivation is going to be to start spending money to travel around the country, which by the way, travel creates issues as well, to then have that opportunity to have fans and and do this. So I don't really know what WWE is going to do long-term. I think there's a greater chance that they start having, they pull back the Thunderdome and bring some fans into Tropicana Field rather than they start touring again and start having live audiences. Um, We're going to find out. Do you kind of agree with that? Yeah, I don't know when touring is going to happen. It's kind of weird, though, because it's an entire baseball stadium. So how do you set it up? You know, we've seen what they've done with the Capital Wrestling Center with NXT. Um, So there are different ways, you you know, you can try to get people in and keep fake crowds. So I don't know. It'll it'll be you can keep you can keep like all the upper screens and have people on the the lower area and pods and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's urgent. I'm not. I'm not missing crowds right now, I I guess is the best way I'd say it in in terms of, you know, they are compensating for it pretty well. And it is in this, this, I have gotten used to this format. It has allowed them to tell stories. I never got used to the performance center setup. Uh, Right. So um, whatever, whatever money WWE spent on the Thunderdome. And I know ratings wise, it's helped, but it hasn't helped massively. It was worth it. Just because the, the presentation of yep. the product is that much better. Capital Wrestling Center, you know, it has not been as successful. To me, it's very low energy, which is unfortunate because there's people there in addition to like the screens. So that's kind of a disappointment. But the Thunderdome was worth every penny. And yeah, I mean, we'll find out probably sooner than later what the plan is going to be for WrestleMania. I assume they're going to start making announcements in early January and we can kind of figure it out from there. But that was. This edition, this WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I appreciate all of you guys listening to our instant analysis of TLC from Sunday night, as well as this WWE show. We will be back on Thursday talking all things NXT and AEW Dynamite coming off of their Wednesday shows. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast because it is there where you will be able to vote for our year-end awards, the Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. the Meaties. As you can tell, I basically settled on those names. I'm glad, what, you, I'm glad you went with the Meaties. We never ended up talking about it, but I was going to say I think that's what it has to be. Well, I, I doubled it up. I just said, hey, they're the Getting Over Awards. That's the formal name, right? The, 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 the horror show at Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. <laughs> the Meaties. The Meaties at the Getting Over Awards is, is basically what it's going to be called. But I think about it like the Oscars, right? Like the Academy Awards is the name. But the Oscars is the actual name of the awards. It's what people say. So you guys can call them the meaties, but they are the getting over awards. Anyway, the point of all this is those ballots will be going out this week. And the way you can get a ballot and the way you can vote is by following us on Twitter at getting overcast. And if you don't already, you've missed our award categories among them. I'm not going to read them all. Male and female wrestler of the year, manager of the year, special attraction match of the year, breakout wrestler moment storyline and angle, the 0.0 award, uh, pay-per-view of the year, TV special of the year, smack talker of the year. That Those are just some of them. We have a huge award show that will be coming up the final week 
of 2020 that you're definitely going to want to hear. And you're probably going to be curious how your votes compared to the actual winners. Again, the way you can vote by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And after you do that, head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review for this show. Every time we get a new five-star rating, and especially when we get a new review, it helps this podcast grow. We've had a huge last two weeks from listenership, thanks to that Renee Paquette interview, which if you have not heard that, you better go back in our archives and listen to it, as well as all the instant analysis, special episodes, and just really good content. Yeah, I'll pat myself on the back. I'll do the Barry Horowitz that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast has produced. So thank you all once again for listening. We will be back on Thursday. That is the Silver King saying goodbye. And since we have time this week, there's one more person who wants to say goodbye to you. Thank all of you for listening. I will see you on Thursday. Bye for now.